Venerable Anne Catherine Emmerich was a German Augustinian nun and stigmatist who lived from 1774 to 1824. As seems to be the norm for the stigmatists, she led a life of great suffering. Part of the suffering, as seems again not to be uncommon among the stigmatists, was that she was a mystic who was said to have had visions of the trials of our time. She also had visions of our Lord's life that were used to some degree in the film The Passion of the Christ. I present to you her visions pertaining to the rise of a false church, an artificial church established by men that will deceive many of the faithful. Has this come to pass yet? I'll let you decide. Following her visions, I'll present some visions of other seers ranging from the desert prophets during the age of the church fathers, and others from more recent times. It appears that the Lord has been trying to warn the faithful of this time for many, many centuries. Now, the visions and warnings of Venerable Anne Catherine Emmerich that pertain to the rise of the false new church. May 13th, 1820. Last night from 11 to 3, I had a most wonderful vision of two churches and two popes, and a variety of things, ancient and modern. I saw the fatal consequences of this counterfeit church. I saw it increase. I saw heretics of all kinds flocking to the city. I saw the ever-increasing tepidity of the clergy, the circle of darkness ever widening. And now the vision became more extended. I saw in all places Catholics oppressed, annoyed, restricted, and deprived of liberty. Churches were closed, and great misery prevailed everywhere with war and bloodshed. I saw rude, ignorant people offering violent resistance, but this state of things lasted not long. Again I saw in vision St. Peter's undermined according to a plan devised by the secret sect, while, at the same time, it was damaged by storms, but it was delivered at the moment of greatest distress. Again I saw the Blessed Virgin extending her mantle over it. June 1, 1821 I saw the Holy Father very prayerful and God-fearing, his figure perfect, though worn out by old age and manifold sufferings, his head sunk on his breast as if in sleep. He often fainted away and seemed to be dying. I often saw him supported by apparitions during his prayer, and then his head was upright. When it sank upon his breast, then were the minds of many turned quickly here and there, that is, viewing things in a worldly light. These visions were so frightful that I came near crying out. I see in the future religion falling so low that it will be practiced only here and there in farmhouses and in families protected by God during the horrors of war. August 18th, 1822. I see the Holy Father in great distress. He lives in another palace and receives only a few to his presence. If the wicked party knew their great strength, they would even now have made an attack. I fear the Holy Father will suffer many tri tribulations before his death, for I see the black counterfeit church gaining ground. I see its fatal influence on the public. The distress of the Holy Father and of the church is really so great that one ought to pray to God day and night. I have been told to pray much for the church and the Pope. Last night I was taken to Rome, where the Holy Father, plunged in affliction, is still concealed in order to elude dangerous exigencies. He is very feeble, quite worn out by distress, anxiety, and prayer. His chief reason for lying concealed is because he can now trust so few. August 25th, 1822 I know not now how I went to Rome last night, but I found myself near the church of St. Mary Major. Around it I saw crowds of poor, pious souls, in great distress and anxiety on account of the Pope's disappearance, and the agitation and alarming reports throughout the city. Led by one common impulse, they had come to invoke the Mother of God. They did not expect to find the church open, they intended only to pray outside. But I was inside, 
I opened the door and they entered, astounded at the door's opening of itself. I was standing aloof where they could not see me. There was no service, only the chancel lights were burning, and the people knelt in quiet prayer. Then the mother of God appeared. She said that the great tribulations were at hand, that the people must pray earnestly with extended arms, if only for the length of three our fathers, for it was thus that her son had prayed for them upon the cross, that they should rise at midnight and to pray thus, that they should continue to come to her church, which they would always find open, and that they should, above all, pray for the extirpation of the dark church. September 27, 1822 I saw heart-rending misery, playing, drinking, gossiping, even courting going on in the church. All sort of abominations were committed in it. They had even set up a nine-pin alley in the middle of it. The priests let things go their way and said mass very irreverently. Only a few of them were still a little intelligent and pious. I saw Jews standing around the doorways. All this grieved me deeply. Then my heavenly spouse bound me as he himself had been bound to the pillar, and he said, So will the church yet be bound. She will be tightly bound before she shall rise again. October 22, 1822 Very evil times are coming, my guide said. The non-Catholics will mislead many. They will use every possible means to entice them from the church, and great disturbances will follow. I had then another vision in which I saw the king's daughter armed for the struggle. Multitudes contributed to this with prayers, good works, all sorts of labors and self-victories which passed from hand to hand up to heaven, where each was wrought, according to his kind, into a piece of armor for the virgin warrior. The perfect adjustment of the various pieces was most remarkable, as also their wonderful signification. She was armed from head to foot. I knew many of those who contributed to the armor, and I saw them surprised that the whole institutions and great and learned people furnished nothing. The contributions were made chiefly by the poor and the lowly. And now I saw the battle. The enemy's ranks were by far the more numerous, but the little body of the faithful cut down from whole rows of them. The armed virgins stood off on a hill. I ran to her pleading for my country, and those other places for which I had to pray. She was armed singularly, but significantly, with helmet, shield, and coat of mail, and the soldiers were like those of our own day. The battle was terrible. Only a handful of victorious champions survived. They wanted to take the shepherd, his own pasture grounds. They wanted to fill his place with one who will hand all over to the enemy. Before we move on to the next visions from the earlier periods in the church, all of these come from a book called The Life and Revelations of Anne Catherine Emmerich by the very Reverend Carl E. Schmoger from the volume two of his works. What comes next now are the various prophecies made by various figures, including a couple that I have already featured on this channel, about the future of the church. You will find many of them extremely relevant to the topic at hand. St. Anthony the Abbot, 4th century. Men will surrender to the spirit of the age. They will say that if they had lived in our day, faith would be simple and easy. But in their day, they will say, things are complex. The church must be brought up to date and made meaningful to the day's problems. When the church and the world are one, then those days are at hand. John of the Cleft Rock, 14th century. Towards the end of the world, tyrants and hostile mobs will rob the church and the clergy of all their possessions, and will afflict and martyr them. Those who heap the most abuse upon them will be held in high esteem. At that time, the Pope with his cardinals will have to flee Rome in tragic circumstances to a place where they will be unknown. The Pope will die a cruel death in his exile. The sufferings of the church will be much greater than at any previous time in her history. But God will raise a holy pope, and the angels will rejoice, 
Enlightened by God, this man will rebuild the, almost the whole world through his holiness. He will lead everyone to the true faith. Venerable Bartholomew Holtzauer. The fifth period of the church, which began circa 1520, will end with the arrival of the holy pope and of the powerful monarch who was called help from God, because he will restore everything. The fifth period is one of affliction, desolation, humiliation, and poverty for the church. Jesus Christ will purify his people through cruel wars, famines, plagues, epidemics, and other horrible calamities. He will also afflict and weaken the Latin church with many heresies. It is a period of defections, calamities, and exterminations. Those Christians who survive the sword, plague, and famines will be few on earth. During this period, many men will abuse of the freedom of conscience conceded to them. It is of such men that Jude the Apostle spoke when he said, These men blaspheme whatever they do not understand, and they corrupt whatever they know naturally as irrational animals do. They will ridicule Christian simplicity. They will call it folly and nonsense. But they will have the highest regard for advanced knowledge, and for the skill by which the axioms of law, the precepts of morality, the holy canons and religious dogmas are clouded by senseless questions and elaborate arguments. These are the evil times, a century full of dangers and calamities. Heresy is everywhere, and the followers of heresy are in power almost everywhere. But God will permit a great evil against this church. Heretics and tyrants will come suddenly and unexpectedly. They will break into the church. They will enter, they will enter Italy and lay Rome waste. They will burn down churches and destroy everything. St. Vincent Ferrer in the days of peace that are to come after the desolation of revolutions and wars, before the end of the world, the Christians will become so lax in their religion that they will refuse to receive the sacrament of confirmation, saying it is an unnecessary sacrament. St. Alphonsus Liguori The devil has always attempted, by means of the heretics, to deprive the world of the mass, making them precursors of the Antichrist who, before anything else, will try to abolish and will actually abolish the holy sacrament of the altar, as a punishment for the sins of men, according to the prediction of Daniel. And strength was given him against the continual sacrifice. Pope Pius XII We believe that the present hour is a dread phase of the events foretold by Christ. It seems that darkness is about to fall on the world. Humanity is in the grip of a supreme crisis. I am worried by the Blessed Virgin's message to Lucia Fatima. This persistence of Mary about the dangers which menace the Church is a divine warning against the suicide of altering the faith in her liturgy, her theology, and her soul. I hear all around me innovators who wish to dismantle the sacred chapel, destroy the universal flame of the true faith of the Church, reject her ornaments, and make her feel remorse for his, her historical past. St. Thomas Aquinas as in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead, so in, in Antichrist the fullness of all wickedness. Not indeed in the sense that his humanity is to be assumed by the devil into unity of person, but that the devil by suggestion infuses his wickedness more copiously into him than into all others. In this way, all the wicked that have gone before are signs of Antichrist. His miracles may be said to be real, just as Pharaoh's magicians made real frogs, but they will not be real magic miracles because they will be done by the power of natural causes. But his miracles will be lies. No one can perform a true miracle against the faith, because God is not a witness of falsity. Hence, no one preaching a false doctrine can work miracles. St. John Bosco Your sons ask for the bread of faith, and no one gives it to them. Ungrateful Rome, effeminate Rome, arrogant Rome, forgetting that the sovereign pontiffs in your true glory are on Golgotha, 
Woe to you! My law is an idle word for you. St. Augustine That which there is no doubt, he said, is this, that Christ will not come to judge quick and dead unless Antichrist, his adversary, first come to seduce those who are dead in soul. His presence shall be after the working of Satan, with all power and signs, and lying wonders, and with all seduction of unrighteousness in them that perish. For then shall Satan be loosed, and by means of that Antichrist shall work with all power in a lying through the wonderful manner. St. John Damascene During the first part of his reign, of his tyranny rather, he, the Antichrist, plays more the part of sanctity, but when he gains complete control, he persecutes the church of God and reveals all his wickedness. And he shall come in signs and lying wonders, sham ones and not real. And he shall seduce those whose intention rests on a rotten and unstable foundation and make them abandon the living God, inasmuch as to scandalize, if possible, even the elect. St. Hildegard of Bingen He, the Antichrist, will grant, grant entire freedom from the commandments of God and the Church, and permit everyone to live as his passions dictate. By doing so, he hopes to be acknowledged by the people as deliverer from the yoke and as the cause of prosperity in the world. Religion he will endeavor to make convenient. He will say that you need not fast and embitter your life by renunciation. It will, be, it will suffice to love God. He will preach free love and tear asunder family ties. He will score everything holy, and he will ridicule all graces of the church and of de with devilish mockery. He will condemn humility and foster proud and gruesome dogmas. He will tear down that which God has taught in the Old and New Testament, and maintain sin and vice are not sin and vice. He will ally himself with the kings, the princes, and the powerful ones of the earth. He will contempt, condemn humility and will extol all the doctrines of pride. His magic art will feign the most astonishing prodigies. And we'll leave you with something from Cardinal Manning, who was, a, who was considered one of the most prominent figures of the First Vatican Council. We have here, 2 Thessalonians ch chapter 2, verses 3 to 11, a prophecy of a spiritual revolt, which shall precede the second coming of our Lord. The authority, then, from which the revolt is to take place is that of the kingdom of God on earth, prophesied by Daniel, as the kingdom which the God of heaven should set up. In other words, the one and universal church, founded by our divine Lord and spread by his apostles throughout the world. In this one only kingdom was deposited the true and supernatural pure theism, or knowledge of God, and the true and only faith of God incarnate, with the doctrines and laws of grace. This, then, is the authority from which the revolt is to be made, be that revolt what it may. The apostasy of the city of Rome from the vicar of Christ and its destruction by Antichrist may be thought so new to many Catholics that I think it well to recite the text of theologians of greatest repute. First Malvenda, who writes expressly on the subject, states as the opinion of Ribera, Gaspar Mellus, Biegas, Suarez, Bellarmine, and Bosius, that Rome shall apostatize from the faith, drive away the vicar of Christ, and return to its ancient paganism. Then the church shall be scattered and driven into the wilderness, and shall be for a time as it was in the beginning, invisible, hidden in the catacombs, in dens, in mountains, in lurking places. For a time it shall be swept, as it were from the face of the earth. Such is the universal testimony of the fathers of the early church.